Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Miss Elizabeth Woodson, and her handsome counterpart, Mr. Adam Hawkins. And today we're going to get uh, to circle back around on the topic of COVID-19, give some thoughts and insights as things start to uh, reopen, as churches start to regather, where we're going to go from here. Elizabeth, what is the least socially distanced event in your lifetime? I'm going to think about like a standing room only concert. So um, at the Bomb Factory in Dallas, where it's just you are close, really close. Like the person's back of their, the back of their head is in your face. <laughs> well, who are you seeing? Who are you seeing at the Bomb Factory? Um, Erica Badu. Yes, Dallas's own Erica Dallas's Badu. Dallas's own. She lives just a couple miles from me, Erica Badu. She does that big birthday party. Is that where you were at? Yes, yeah. That's fun. Adam Hawkins, what's the least socially distance you've ever been? I I was in a show in Austin once where uh, it actually felt a little scary. Like the crowd started to sway and you couldn't not sway. And there were people who fell down. Like it was kind of scary. But then I thought about the fact of having kids And now it's just, that's what it is. It's like my couch is the least socially distanced I've been every day. I've got a six-year-old boy who is all elbows and knees. And and he just, my boys are the ones who love to hang on me. And so him and my three-year-old will just be on me all the time. And it's somehow I've got all four elbows, yeah, of them and all four knees of the two of them and their chins just digging into me, you know, not to mention their food and all the things they're spitting all over the place. And it's an absolute joy, but at the same time, there is no distance, you know, there's just no distance anymore. That's awesome. I kind of actually, I kind of enjoy that with kids. Like if they're going to be in my business, I think that's kind of sweet. The socially distance or social distancing or the lack thereof that I do not miss when I, I know you've been to Japan, Adam, when I went to Japan, it had just recently uh, become illegal to stop using sticks to push people onto the subway to cram them in. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) On on subways in Japan, they used to use these like giant giant brooms to put in as many people as possible so they can keep those things moving. But I think of that, I think of being on the, uh, the arch in St. Louis and that tiny little elevator that takes like an hour to get to the top. But uh, I don't miss moments like that as we're socially distanced. And as we regather the bomb factory, our families, things are going to start to change. So let's talk a little bit about in ways that I hope tonight are going to really help some churches about what comes with regathering. All right, as it stands right now in the pandemic, globally, locally, here in Texas where we are, but certainly across the country, we're starting to see people regather. We're starting to hear about churches have their services beginning again, or at least planning their services and maybe uh, rolling out a a plan or stages or phases. We've seen pictures recently of parties, pool party in the Ozarks. I don't know if you guys saw that, where it's just like hundreds of people hanging out and, and just kind of throwing caution to the wind. There's a lot of people eager to go out and party. But uh, we're also seeing the economy start to open up, some bars and restaurants. 
Uh, I think as we're reopening, one of the things that'll be important for us to talk about here that I think would be a fun place to start is what are some of the things you're hearing from people that they're realizing maybe about their life that they were living that now in COVID quarantine, they're realizing about themselves, whether it's frustrating and untrue or whether it's something that's good to hold on to. Uh, Elizabeth, what are some things you're, you're realizing about yourself or you're hearing or seeing other people realize about life in the midst of COVID? I think people realize how much of stuff we don't need, um, you know, because we are just so used to being able to go out and get anything. And I think also Amazon, you just switched that to Amazon. So um, you're having stuff delivered packages every day um, on my doorstep that may or may not be my life. But <laughs> I think people, you have realized what you can go without um, and what you don't really need and how much we were consuming. I just talked to a friend today and just um, how much were we buying and consuming that all these different stores are now suddenly going out of business because we stopped buying things and we have pushed our money elsewhere to buy different kinds of things or buy from different types of vendors. And so I think it's just re-evaluating our spending habits, but also I've talked to people who their tolerance for people has gone down. So they just have lower patience because they've been by themselves for two and a half months. And now you have to be in crowds and be around people. So I think that's a little bit of a fun one. You realize that, oh, I don't like having to wait for things anymore. I'm going to go back to my house and be by myself. So uh, shout out to the single people who <laughs> enjoy being by themselves. <laughs> that's great. Hey, I'm married. I enjoy being by myself too. It's, it's uh, There's aspects of, of quarantine that I have definitely delighted in. And my wife has pointed out to me several times that incompetence in other people perceived by me is a trigger for me, that it infuriates me when I think oh, that person is not good at their job. And in the same way, uh, competence is like this is a sweet blessing to my level when people are good at it. Uh, something you talked about deliveries. I have developed a strange and fun friendship with my mailman because he is the only person who visits my house every day. And I spend so much time now sitting out on my front patio and he comes up, we have little chats about the weather and what's going on in his life. And Literally, he's like the only adult that I see every day. And it is really, uh, it's not quite so Mr. Quarantine Mc changed you into like an 80 year old man. <laughs> yes. He's not Mr. McFeely. He's like a really sweet guy. And, uh, Honestly, he'll drive by before he comes to my house. He drives by and honks and waves and I wave at him and he comes by like an hour later. We get a little chat in and I have, and now, I, I can't wait for Cracker Bell to open back up so I can be there with my friends reading the newspaper at 5 a.m. But yeah, I've turned into an old man. Adam, what are the, some of the things that you're hearing from people that they're realizing during COVID? There's a couple of things I've realized, you know, we're, what I'm, let me do one that's sort of impersonal. Uh, one that I keep reading about, there's a lot of realizations. I think a lot of them are good. I too, I was an old man before COVID-19 where COVID turned you into an old man, Adam. I was an old curmudgeon before it and it's just made me more curmudgeon-y. And so as I read people, I read about people, there's I, there are tons of articles about productivity. There are tons of articles about um, the way I describe them is people are realizing that they don't like to work. <laughs> and so that's the way I am painting it. But I have people send me articles just about every day where it's like, look at this. People realize that they love, you know, the way I, this is me. I'm par This is my terrible paraphrase, but they love, you know, just sitting around for half the day. And so they're realizing that they can do their jobs in half the time from home and all these kind of things. 
And uh, it's just really infuriating to me. I think because one, it's like, yeah, it's just so obvious. Of course, you don't like your job. You know, of course, you don't like to spend all your time working. Um, And then on the other hand, uh, I understand at the same time, it's trying to get at this idea that man, maybe we're discovering some things about what we've, what we've always done um, that, that may may be unhealthy or um and so i think that's i think there's a good side to it is what i try to say yeah. yeah i think i think you're being kind i think people are realizing that if life were a constant vacation it sure would be nice and yep. they're trying to find a way of saying hey my job i could do my job quicker at home or more efficiently when really it means like maybe you lacked productivity in your normal <laughs> job <laughs> uh i think it's really honestly on that i think it's spiritually and physically dangerous to teach people, kids, a younger generation, that a lack of strenuous work would be better for you. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the truth is, the Bible talks about being a sluggard, and it's never in a positive sense. No. The Bible talks about hard work, and it's never as an um, antithesis to flourishing. It talks about considering the ant, look at the way he works. And it talks about calculating what things are going to cost. I think of uh, Theodore Roosevelt has a couple famous speeches, but one of them, it's called The Strenuous Life. And in the opening of the speech, he talks about which one of you is going to teach your children that the goal of your life is as much ease as possible. And yet mm-hmm. we live in a generation that that's kind of what we teach each other. You know, would be better? You're going to work hard enough that you don't have to work. And wouldn't it be great if you could make enough that you never have to work? And that is not a biblical concept of, it. wouldn't it be great if we were just at leisure? In fact, one of the big convictions in my heart Uh, speaking of vacations, is that I feel like as a job, I'm a pastor. As a job, sometimes that means I'm an evangelist and a shepherd. And when I vacation, I do not want to meet new people. I do not want to talk to anybody. I don't want to communicate. And so I that whole heart to like share the love, the peace, the grace of Jesus Christ, I honestly implicitly feel like I get to turn that switch off when I go on vacation and stop caring about people. And I just get to be, hey, no wonder humans love this selfish and self-centered and get to do what I want to do and then kind of blame uh, work life and uh, (laughs) the world and say, isn't that tough? In fact, I have a buddy who worked at a organization um, and the organization's job was to advocate for millennials as great employees. And I said, oh, that's awesome. What do you guys do all day? And he said, well, today we played seven hours of bananagrams and sent one email and I was like, you guys are the advocates for how hard work in this generation is. And you guys are playing games all day long. I think there's just a, there's a lack of that. What is a job supposed to look like too? That's affecting us that, yeah, are realizing vacations are sweet and vacations are fun. What about yeah, for the, the thing is also people like working half the time, but they don't get like, like getting paid half the time. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there are people are ideas. Like, you're still getting a check, fool. Like, <laughs> this is a vacation for you. Wait till that yeah. catches up and they cut yeah. your hours. I've had, I've had people tell me before, employees tell me, uh, and this is not to mock anybody, but they've said, um, hey, I saved up enough vacation time that I can take a day off every week for the rest of the year. And I said, mm-hmm. well, what you're describing to me is that your job can be done as a part time job. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> They're like, no, 
Okay, well, let's talk about why you have vacation time. And if you want to keep getting paid full time, then let's make sure you have a full time job. But people think, I mean, it's, it, I, I know it sounds like it feels curmudgeon y, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, we, I didn't pay you to game the system. Oh, you figured out how to take a day off for the rest of the year? Like, that's yeah. not what this is. You know what I mean? Like, no, and I'm, I'm, uh, I should say I'm all for vacations and I'm all for days off. And I have in at Eastside, the church that I pastor, we are stringent about rest, but I never want to be a church that's like, Hey, listen, we're going to be coasting. We're going to be doing, we're going to be making as much as possible for doing as little as possible. You know, we're not the easy a church. Uh, in fact, when I used to be a high school teacher, I'd always give kids this hypothetical where I'd say, if you could take an English class with one teacher and he's going to be really hard, but he's going to teach you a lot. You're going to learn a lot. It's going to be hard to get an A. Or there's one where you're not going to learn anything. In fact, you might come out more ignorant, but I can guarantee you'll, you'll get an A in the class. Which one would you take? And they will always choose ignorance and an easy A over straining hard in order to learn. And it's like, man, what, why are we doing the school thing? What have we taught you about education? And the same thing as work. People treat work like it's your adversary. Like we need to get past it in order to get to do what I want. Like it's like, as long as if I could get paid full time, do nothing, would we all select that? And I think a lot of our country would say, yeah, that's the goal. That'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Passive, passive income. But the Bible does not talk about passive income as the goal for the Christian. Mm. Like if we all looked at the incidents going on in our country right now and said, wouldn't it be great if we could just do nothing and it would get better? You go, yeah, that'd probably be great. But you know what's not going to happen is with my passivity that it'll improve the world around me. <laughs> you know, uh, let's talk about. Let me change it for just a second. What we about can just for, go on this all night? <laughs> hey, I, oh. If you want me to start calling out names on people and saying, "Let me tell you about," let me tell you about Karen over here. Karen, <laughs> oh, oh, Karen, Karen, she's been working this week. Come on, Karen, get yourself a full time job, Karen. Uh, what about in the church? What do you feel like people in the church are realizing? Do you feel like, have either of you experienced people in the church realizing like, hey, worship is even more important than I thought, or maybe uh, are people running out of energy and enthusiasm for the programs of the church in the midst of this? What have you guys experienced at the, the Village and Citizens? What I've experienced is that it's really two groups of people. And so we make phone calls to our members throughout the week. And so I'll talk to people and people just want to gather. I think a lot of people just miss being in the gathering with people and worshiping and having that collective voice and just the intimacy of taking communion together, like all those things we do as one people. And so there's a lot of people who I know are just missing that and yearning. And so I think we are going to see when we can um, come back together, just people have a higher appreciation for what it means to be in the room and worship together, knowing that that isn't something that's guaranteed anymore. And then I've also just seen that because we live in Texas and because we live in the Bible Belt, and so we have this nominal Christianity that people are just falling off um, because it's not shiny anymore. It's not flashy anymore. You have to log on and they just kind of get tired of that. And so I think I've also seen some people go the other direction and just find something else to do with their hour on Sunday morning or just sleep in because they it doesn't run that deep for them. Um, and so I think we'll see that dynamic too when we come back together, that our numbers might not be as high because we've um, lost some people who maybe weren't holding on as tightly as we thought they were. Yeah. Adam, something similar, something different? 
Yeah, that's just so good. I mean, absolutely. We we have called our members and tried to be diligent about just keep as this stretches on longer, sort of trying to keep energy in that space of connecting with members. And I we've heard largely the same thing, which is people are just really eager to be back together. And what's so interesting about that is that at the same time that I'm seeing that, the things I'm reading are all emphasizing sort of the new digital age of church. So there was a recent study that came out um, this last week, and part of what it talked about was that in the last four weeks, regular attenders haven't even watched online services anymore, because I think people are fatigued to the screens. But one of the take, which is, this is crazy, but one of the takeaways of somebody who was analyzing this article was talking about how churches will cease to, after COVID-19, many churches will cease to be physical spaces and that we really need to start leveraging, and and there'll be digital spaces. And so what we really need to do, the church really needs to um, stop thinking of itself as a physical space that will put its services online, but needs to start thinking of itself as an online space that may have physical components to it. And this is a this is like a big time dude in, in the Christian world arguing for these things. And I'm seeing more and more of these kind of things. Oh man, we've rediscovered why technology in the church is good. And again, like I, I think there is a positive side of that, but I just personally, and if there's citizens listeners, I, you are completely allowed to email if you um, don't like this, but I will shout into the wind against that idea. If that really is the way this is moving, then you're going to find me sitting by myself with 10 other people in a church building. Cause I'm, I, I don't plan on being a digital pastor. You know, I, I plan on, this is our whole faith is about being an embodied faith. If you're not experiencing this to Elizabeth's point and you don't feel like something is acutely wrong with what's going on, not just cause it's COVID-19 and those things are that this has been a traumatic and terrible event, but I mean, if you're if the lack of gathering at church, if you're thinking, man, you know what? I really love the convenience of being able to, you know, stream this whenever I want, or when I can get my kids busy doing something else so that I can pay attention or whatever. If that's sort of, then I would say, hey, it's time to do some self examination because we're really there's something really wrong with the way we've had to do this for a while now. So, yeah. Amen. I'm with I'm with you, citizens. People, email Adam. I'm fired up about it. <laughs> But how can we be, I mean, what a privileged viewpoint to take that it's going to be digital. There's so yeah. many kids, so many kids in my neighborhood that do not have access to the internet that right now, yes. this is the irony. Think about this. There are kids, tons, I mean, hundreds in the hundreds of kids in my neighborhood who were emailed instructions on how to get a hotspot if they needed one from the district. So just mm. think about that. They were emailed instructions on how to get a hotspot, which means if you don't have internet, don't worry, we emailed you to let you know how you can get it. Like, well, they, <laughs> what is this kid going to do? So uh, to think that like, if I'm going to be an evangelist and a missionary in a community, in an urban environment, in a city, in a suburb, in a rural environment, and think like, oh, my evangelism is now going to look like what? Posting on social media as opposed to being an embodied neighbor instead of, as opposed to being incarnational with the people around me. I just don't see that being the future, but I do think there are some good things that we are realizing right now. I think in particularly, I think there's some uh, uh, empathy for our missionaries who are isolated overseas has increased where their only connection point to the church has been digital. 
we've been able to think more creatively about what that must be like for them or to think more about how to incorporate them into what we are doing. And there are some advantages in that too of like um, right now, <laughs> I was talking to a guy this week that we're going to fly in for, he's going to preach for me in July. He's from Chicago. And I was like, at this point, man, we could almost film you in Chicago and just post it with everything else. And it'd be just as easy and save yourself the flight and the exposure and the whatever else. And there's advantages of bringing voices from outside your world to speak into it. But like you, Adam, we've seen some taper off even in our own people. I think that's measurable that not as many people are energized, tuning in, engaged in the digital version of, of what our church is putting out. And there's a reason. And I don't think it's because uh, the product is less quality. Mm-hmm. And uh, the worship service is not a product to be peddled in the first place. It's a it's group good. of people gathering together or to worship their God united and, and align their hearts around him. All right. I know that we represent three different churches, but that doesn't represent every church. In the conversation that most churches are having right now that I'm talking to, that I was texting with pastors about this week, that I was on Zoom calls with them about this week, is what is regathering your church going to look like? And I say regathering because the church isn't closed. Uh, no church worth its salt is closed. Like the, the church of God, while a building may be closed, while meetings may not be happening, none of us believe the Village Church, Citizens Church, Eastside has been closed during COVID. But what is regathering our people physically in person look like? And let's just spend just a couple minutes maybe sharing some of the insights, tips, or thoughts that have to be considered as churches are regathering. Elizabeth, let's start with you. Maybe you're in these conversations for the village or maybe you're not, but what are some of the things happening or that you're seeing around that that incorporate or are there things that people have to consider as we're looking at regathering the church post-quarantine or in the midst of social distancing? Yeah, I mean, I think we are a church that gathers 1,500 people three times a Sunday when we are operating normally. And so I think a question that a lot of megachurches are having to deal with is how many people can actually be in your building and what is it going to take for us to clean all the things we need to clean in order to be able to make that safe space safe for them. Um, Just if any of you have ever been in our building, it's not necessarily a place where there's a lot of room to hang out and just linger. And so just even the tightness of people being able to walk in the sanctuary, walk in and out of the building. Like, how do you create these entry and exit points? You know, is every door an entry point like it used to be? Or are there specific flow patterns and all these things? And so um, our, our church is right now trying to figure out those questions and um, wanting to do it well, because with so many people, the risk is just high. And I think it's a larger conversation for mega churches because even though we hope that the future of church is not digital because we are an embodied people need to be together. What is the future of churches that make their money in large gatherings and even larger than the village? There are some churches that meet in stadiums. Like, How are these churches going to manage those things? And so the conversation right now for us is how many people can we um, have in a space and how do we do that uh, safely? And, and part of this for me is just conjecture. I haven't necessarily been in the rooms for these conversations, but the larger conversations we've had, you know, that's what I can um, pull from that is how do we do this safely for our people in such a way that we're able to worship, but we're not putting anyone in unnecessary risk. I, I do think it's worth saying too, when we talk about safety, 
uh, one of the reasons the church would reopen is for the safety of our people as well, just to make everything clear, like spiritual safety, physical safety. We believe church is one of the things that helps people. And so not having church is a danger. And so while we aren't going to risk anybody when it comes to COVID, I also don't want to risk anybody spiritually when it comes to their soul. Uh, Adam, how about you guys when it comes to regathering? What kind of things are you guys talking through? I think for people listening, Elizabeth's point was so incredibly uh, uh, important. So, uh, you know, we we represent sort of probably two different size churches. Uh, Citizens in Eastside, I think, are pretty similar in size. I'm not a, I'm not 100 percent, but the village is is, you know, orders of magnitude bigger than both of ours. And so, if you know, where, where, wherever you're listening from, I think one of the thing, two things to keep in mind is one to reopen is not as simple as reopen. It's not just reopening. Like, oh, we just get to open our doors again and people have to sit a little bit differently. There is a ton just, you know, as we have been trying to talk through reopening, there is a ton that goes into that. And I think the more people you have, regular attenders you might have on a weekend, uh, the more complex it can get. That's not to say that it's not complex for a small church. I think it still is. I'm, I'm saying it's complex, but I think it's just important to listen. And so maybe if, if you, um, if you know, just have patience and grace for your church leaders. This is a hard thing to figure out. Um, so you know, even for us as we're talking through it, like there's CDC guidelines, and man, it's crazy. Like it's crazy, right? So the, the same. Here's the thing. The same day the CDC released information saying that this virus doesn't seem to really stick to surfaces, uh, we they did not update their guidelines for churches reopening. So they CDC has literally said it doesn't really stick to surfaces that well. That's not how it transfers. But you still have to sanitize everything in your church, any place people are. So just think about that, right? Like there's just rules that it's like, it's really hard to follow. All that stuff is a ton of cost. Uh, they are right now, the CDC is recommending um, for churches, they have a specific guideline set for churches that kids three years and older wear masks. Think about that for a second. I have a child who just turned three. I, I don't know. I don't know what is going through these people's minds, frankly, but there's no way you're going to get a three-year-old to keep a mask on. I don't even know how you do that. You know, um, one of our elders joked, maybe you put a Jolly Rancher inside of it or something. And I was like, yeah, that's going to keep the mask on for about two minutes. You're going to have to. So my point in that is just to say there's so many, I mean, the whole kid situation throws a whole different wrench into it. Um, and so, yeah, it, there's so much to consider. And I think that's just a really important point. So the way the guidelines talk about seating every other row you can't be in, and then you have to have two seats in between each people. A lot of churches are doing reservation systems. We're looking into that. So almost like a movie theater style, you know, choose your own seat sort of a thing. Uh, so it severely limits the amount of people you can have in. You've got to sanitize in between all that sanitization stuff, just so people realize like if you're spraying your chairs down, it's going to take a certain amount of time for that to dry. It takes 10 minutes to kill them, to kill the virus. And then it takes another 10 to 20 minutes for it to dry. So you've got to build all that in. The more you use it on your chairs, if you have fabric chairs or pews, it could ruin all your furniture. You may have to pay to degrease it. I mean, it. it's just 
the reason I'm giving that level of detail is so people out there understand the crazy things that we non-experts in any of this are having to think through as we think through reopening our churches. And it's just a lot. It's just, it's just a lot. Would you say the same, Adam? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things you brought up, uh, well, a couple of things I want to talk about children's ministry you just mentioned, and then seating too. I think if you're in a, if you have a building where you have pews and you're trying to determine what is six feet between people, I can imagine yeah. that might be difficult. And if you're yes. in, uh, if you're in fixed rows where chairs don't move, then yeah. how does somebody get up and move about if they have to go to the restroom during service? So they, they break social distancing to move past somebody. And <laughs> it's, it's one thing to block off those chairs, but then, and then uh, masks you brought up too with kids is, uh, there are some people, we haven't talked about this yet, but there are some people that are throwing caution to the wind with masks and other people that are like, I'm not coming if everybody's not wearing one. That's and right. so where does the church fall on that? Do you have a service that is mask mandatory and another one that's that's masks encouraged? Do you have <laughs> um, uh, one big one that I really, really want to make super, super clear, and I hope this is helpful for other people as it was for me, but I've heard from some churches doing like uh, one gendered services, uh, men at this one and women at this one. And I, I get why they're doing it. They're trying to resolve an issue of children's ministry um, as a childcare is how do we, how do we make sure that kids are, are not a distraction? You think about handing out crayons and crackers and keeping them in one place. But one of the things we cannot lose in this, and like I said, this is major, is if because children's ministry in its traditional sense cannot take place, we can't have a bunch of three-year-olds crawling on each other and crawling on teachers in the midst of uh, social distancing. It is not as simple as saying, how can we distract kids so that ministry can continue, but rather children's ministry is important. And what are we doing for the fact that it has been lost for these kids? So if all we're doing is saying, pastor's going to keep preaching, but don't worry, we got crackers and crayons. <laughs> then you were teaching kids like all that you guys were doing for them was a distraction so that you could do real ministry. But there is a, uh, there are hundreds of needy souls at Eastside who are under 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Who, who are missing out on the gospel that is catered to their age group. And if all I do is say, you know what, just uh, stay close to mommy, then I'm, then I'm not doing my job as a pastor to minister to those people's needs. And I think that's a, that's a significant thing in the midst of this. Now, one other thing for our church, and this is just to talk about our unique situation that's not that unique, is I'm still, I'm in a church plant. We're, we're around a thousand people. We use a, a public high school. And, but that public high school is not reopened for rentals, which means not only do we not own our property, but our property has been taken from us uh, in our ability to gather. And we're at the mercy of other people on whether or not our church could gather in the first place. So even as uh, citizens and village and other churches who own their properties, big or small, are able to make considerations about, well, what are we going to do? When do we want to get back? Eastside and a lot of church plants are going, well, what are we going to do? Even if even if uh, regulation, it's like we don't have anywhere to meet, even if we wanted to. So what could you do outside? What could you do inside? What, what agreements could we come up with other churches? And we're exploring our options. And I think we've got some good ones, but it's going to mean maybe changing service times, number of services, right, locations, yeah. setup of chairs. And it's not as simple as just, you know, I've heard several megachurch people tell me it's very, it's more complicated for megachurches than anybody. I'm like, yeah, maybe, but I think it's complicated for everybody. Yes. And uh, the truth is, like, I, I, even as we're speaking right now, we are not representing a lot of churches. And there may be uh, churches of, uh, I don't, our church is very young. So churches that represent a lot of elderly people are having a very different predicament. Our church is going to be thinking about handling a lot of kids, a lot of little kids. 
And so how do you socially distance and maintain ministry to them, but also maintain social distance? And that's a, that's a difficult problem to process and it'll change service times. It'll change length of service. I mean, for us, it's going to be a whole ordeal. We're trying to create a multi-stage plan of, we're going to try this at this stage. And if this goes well, we'll move to this stage, but we're, uh, we're calling them stages because they may regress. We may have to go like, you know what? We went to stage three, but we need to move back to stage two because one of the other things we haven't mentioned is honestly, this fall, things could get worse again. There could be another Mm -hmm. outbreak. There could, it could be worse. Elizabeth, you've told me that maybe you guys are changing the plan even for classes at the village, right? Are you guys considering long-term digital? What what are the options for you guys? You know, I think one of the options, really our two options is we just take classes normal or everything's virtual. Um, and like you said, because we're not sure what can happen in the fall and we just want to create consistency and be able to plan well. And so planning takes time for us to think about what does it mean for us to do spiritual formation, to educate our people, to help them understand who God is better, um, utilizing digital tools in a really significant and intentional way. How do we partner with, this is, again, this is just me talking. Um, these aren't official decisions. Um, how do we partner with home groups or just equip our people to be able to gather in smaller groups um, and still accomplish the same things? How do we help other churches? I get emails all the time from other churches who want to be able to utilize our resources. And so is there an opportunity for us to really help our brothers and sisters across the country uh, with some of the excess and overflow that we have at the village? And so I think those are some of the conversations we're having. And there's a good chance that, because if college campuses are saying that they're going to be virtual, um, then we there's a good chance that we, um, the village, who have a much smaller footprint for education will be virtual as well. And yeah, they just, I think that's one of the things that we will see that will be a remaining dynamic for churches after COVID-19 is over. It's just, a, it just um, at demand resources that people can go through when they want to. Um, and so it's not just, hey, I sign up for this class, but, and I have to show up at a specific time, but hey, my church is offering these self-paced materials that I can through. Um, and so those are all in the bucket for us as we're discussing what it means for us to rethink how we do what we do, um, at TVCM. That's great. One more thing before we kind of land the plane, Adam, what does it mean for home groups at Citizens? Are you guys giving home groups kind of a mandated, this is how it's going to be? Uh, because I know with home groups, you're talking about a ton of leaders with different opinions, different needs, different, or are you kind of leaving it up to leaders? You know, we haven't mandated uh, anything for home groups, um, and and we're sort of in the process right now of going through ministry by ministry and trying to help set up different, you know, suggestions and guidelines. Uh, you know, if you're using the building, you know, like we're talking about with Elizabeth, where we have you know, she's, there's classes, those are typically on campus or are in a part of the campus there. So like, if you're a ministry that's using building stuff, that's one thing, but to your point, Adam, if you're at home, you know, um, on the one hand, we can't keep home groups. We, you know, it's, what are we going to say? Hey, please don't have people over. But if somebody wants to invite people into their home, they can. Right. Uh, and at the same time, um, to advocate again, there's a, there's a level of, loss of control once it goes to people's homes. And so we want to make good suggestions. And basically those suggestions have been, Hey, 
let's let's try to be safe. Let's listen to our leaders. Let's listen to the experts and 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 do the best we can with it. Um, but no, what we are hoping to do is create content, uh, which we've done before, and make sure we're able to get that into leaders' hands. Um, and then from there, um, really just continue to resource them the best we can. But no, we're, we're not mandating that they, hey, now start meeting again or something like that. Because to, to somebody was saying earlier, there's just people in a lot of different life stages, you know. Um, and so it, to try to do one size fits all it for a congregation that that isn't you know one size fits all is it's just not going to work you know there's home groups that are made up of maybe people with in vulnerable populations there's some that are young and don't have kids there's some that do have kids and so we we want to be able to be flexible and pivot and cater to the contexts that are that are happening and i think if we just came out and said hey everybody's going to meet again people would be that just wouldn't work so yeah, that's good. I, th- I think you're right. It's not one size fits all. And that's why I think what, what Eastside is going to do, which I, I assume a lot of churches are going to do, is even as we start to regather, what we will do in worship will continue to be posted online so that yes. those who are not able, not willing, or for whatever reason, are not going to join us, will still be able to participate to some degree digitally with what is happening. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if there are similar kind of options, like how home groups will be some of them will continue with Zoom meeting digitally, and some will meet outside. Some will, many will, we're encouraging many to maintain social distancing, use gloves and cleaning and masks when appropriate. And, you know, all the kind of things that follow the guidelines and at the same time, not treat church like it's a, a unessential, unimportant afterthought to people's lives. You know, the church is the people of God gathered. And there's a reason we gather, and it's not just for handshakes, high fives, and and sing-alongs like the, the church gathers. And the reason we worship together is because it's something the Lord has called us to do. I mean, quite literally the scripture says, do not, do not forsake the gathering. We don't, we don't give up on gathering as some are in the habit of doing. And that's not to say that, Hey, we shouldn't socially distance or we should never have stopped gathering for worship. And I think these are fine and good reasons not to, but there is a reason why I am eager to get back together. And it's not just because I miss some buddies and it's not just because I want to have a job. It's not self-serving in that sense at all. It's because the Lord is deserving of worship and the way he has called his people to worship is to do so corporately. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard somebody say to me, I don't need to go to church because I can worship the Lord from my home. And in some sense, I'm like, yeah, you're right. But that's like saying, I can love my wife. She doesn't need to hear me say it, nor does she ever need to see me. Why does she need to see me? I can still love my wife and never see her. Like, (laughs) technically, that's true. But why would I, how could that be congruent? Like, I I love my wife and don't want to see her? And so if you love the Lord and you love his church, and there's a part of gathering that comes with loving, serving the needs of those who are in need and then having your needs served by them as well is part of how the Lord leads and serves us. And so I am looking forward to what's next. It's not one size fits all. There's a thousand questions we didn't get to. There's certainly a political debate. There's certainly a a debate when it comes to mask wearing or not wearing. There's uh, debates about all of this. But I hope what you've seen tonight or heard from us tonight is that Adam, Elizabeth, and I represent three different circumstances. And even that are not one size fits all. So Well, thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Rourke. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. 
Thank you and God bless. Thank you.